Good evening. Welcome to Milkshake Monday. I'm Anita Helm and this is being brought to you by Fordos Production. I want to let you know that tonight we are also on Audible. So if you have the opportunity to listen to Shopify or any of the other podcasts, we also have the availability to hear this on Audible. We are very grateful for that. So tonight we're going to be in episode 258 and it's called The Testimony of Your Labor and God's Favor. As I was thinking about the teaching, I got excited. It was hard to even wait until it was time to start broadcasting because when you start to hear the word of God and you understand whether you're a new person starting the workforce or you're somebody in the middle of your career or you're retired and you do volunteering, there is such an opportunity for us to learn and be encouraged about what we're going to hear today about being in your workplace and how what you are doing and your countenance and your disposition is being seen and watched by so many that you are unaware of and how God is really doing things for the plan of God. So let's start. It's going to be a lot of scriptures tonight. So let's start with the foundational scripture of Colossians chapter three, verses 23 to 24. And it says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. I've heard this scripture many times, work is unto the Lord. And when I started as a teenager in 10th grade, I always remembered how they said, whenever you're working, whatever job it is, whether it's in the field, in a desk, behind a bus, whatever you're doing, think about that work as doing the work under the Lord. Then the scripture continues, you work for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So when we see about nine examples tonight, they're not going to be long because today is Labor Day. So I'm celebrating God even in the midst of our Labor Day. And they're going to be examples of people and circumstances and examples for you and I to think about when it comes to when we're in our workplace. So the first is in the Genesis. It's going to be easy. It's about Abel. Now we all know that Abel was a shepherd. He took care of animals. And we always see the contrast and the focus on Cain. But I want to show the example that Abel gave his first fruits. He gave the best. And as a result of that, God said it was acceptable. But his relative, his own brother, his own blood resented him for doing the best. And there's going to be people in your life, whether friends, colleagues, whoever they may be, who see that you are doing your best for the Lord. You're giving your first fruits of your income. And in this case, he's giving his, his first, the fat, the best of the lambs of the animals that he's doing. And God is accepting it. So let's read Genesis chapter four, verses two through eight. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flocks. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was just downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, you will not be, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Here's a point. Yes, Abel was obedient. 
Abel was willing to give his very best. But if you find that you are a worker in whatever workplace it is, and you find that what you're doing, you are not doing it as unto the Lord. And when you get your income, you would rather give your leftovers and you'd rather give in disobedience. And you are wondering why things aren't working out for you. And your face is low because you say, I got more going out than coming in. Make sure you're doing as unto the Lord, even in your giving. Now Cain said to his brother, Abel, let's go out to the field. Now the field was where Abel worked with those animals, but it's also where Cain worked with his planting and what he was doing in the soil. But now the same field that he was used to working in is going to be the very crime scene of where his own brother is going to murder him. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother, Abel, and killed him. So that's the takeaway for the first one. I know it's not a ha ha, laugh, laugh, joy, joy, but it's just showing you from the very beginning that the workplace has its pros and its cons, even for people that we think we can trust. Now let's go to Ruth chapter two, verses two through 10. Now in this situation, I want you to understand that you can be in all kinds of emotional stress in the workplace and still find yourself doing a good job as unto the Lord and the Lord giving you favor. In this case, Ruth was a widow. She was in her own grief, but she also had her mother-in-law who was not only a widow from her husband of many years ago, but she was in depression because she lost both of her sons. She didn't have a means to make a living and she was returning back to her homeland. And she was thinking herself as Mara. She felt bitter. She felt that everything had been turned against her. But Ruth, on the other hand, didn't let herself stay in a posture of being depressed in grief, in turmoil, having a lack, she decided she was going to go out and get a job and work. And you know, sometimes we look at those people at those different 7-Elevens and places of people coming from foreign countries and we look down on them because they're hustling. They're doing what they got to do to feed their families, to bring milk and butter and bread into the house. And they're doing day labor and we like, oh, they, they, they just don't deserve it. But we're going to see that Ruth is a foreigner. Ruth is coming into a land that Naomi is part of that, but she's not of that land. She's from Moab. She's a Moabite. So look what it says here in verse two of Ruth chapter two. And Ruth, the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Imelech. This was an opportunity as a result of her going, as a result of her being ingenuity, having ingenuity of a, of a result of her believing she can go and help her actually taking initiative. Even though she didn't go get a permanent job, she was going to do hard work. Just then Boaz arrives from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. They answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? He noticed her. He wouldn't have noticed her at back at the house because he wasn't back at the house. She was there working working for the benefit of her family, Naomi. That didn't make her less of a widow, less of in sorrow, didn't make any of those things that were emotionally going on with her, not in effect. 
Verse 8, excuse me, verse 6. The overseer replied, she's the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now. She's not a slacker. She is working hard except for a short rest in the shelter. Hard worker, diligent, committed, not doing anything other than working as unto the Lord. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. She understood to take orders. She understood how to follow. She understood how she needed to obey and listen and not be puffed up. She didn't let her hips and her boobs be the forefront of what she was doing. She was working. She wasn't trying to get an edge on everything feminine about herself. She was doing what she needed to do for her family. Stay here and the, and be with the women who work for me. Watch, watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars that the men have filled. At this, I want you to see the humility that she has. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? She recognized favor. Do you recognize favor on your job? That's a great example of someone willing to go and work and do things without knowing everything that's going to happen. She's going to go out and try. She's going to go out and do and be earnest in what she does. Here's another example. David out of first Samuel chapter 16 verses 11 through 12. David was a lowly shepherd. He was in a family of all of those brothers and his father and his daddy forgot him when there was opportunity to remember him for something important. But David was out in that field doing the work of a shepherd, what people would say, working with smelly animals out in the field all day. Yet he found that he was a lowly shepherd, as some people may think, his own dad included, his own older brothers included, but God elevates him. Where some people in your own family and your friends may not look at you very high or esteem you, you don't know what God sees in your future. So don't beat yourself up and think, oh, I'm just this. I only got this kind of job. You have the heart to work as unto the Lord and let the Lord see that you're doing your very best and let him elevate you and be a part of the plan of God. In this, we're going to see in verse 11 of chapter 16 of 1 Samuel. Samuel's talking to Jesse because every last brother has been rejected. So here is what Samuel says to Jesse. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Jesse replies, they're still the youngest. Jesse answered, he's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. Whether you're the field worker, whether you're the person taking care of the sheep, 
Don't look down on yourself and don't let others look down on you. Don't let others forget you because the person that may be in the field, the person that you may think is last, may be the person that will be the CEO. And in this case, the King of Israel. The next person, Nehemiah, I love this story. Nehemiah chapter two, verses one through seven. In this story, we're going to see that even though the king is powerful, Nehemiah works as unto the Lord and he always has a countenance. His face shows joy, enthusiasm. People watch you. People take an account of how your disposition is. Wherever the job is, he is the cupbearer for the king. He has to taste the king's wine and drinks to make sure it's not poisonous. And guess what? When you have a poor countenance in the midst of being in front of the king, you could be murdered, killed, because nobody comes in front of the king with a poor downcast disposition. And up until then, they had never seen Nehemiah looking sad before. And when the king acknowledges that he sees it, Nehemiah will show fear because out of his heart, his emotions have come through his face and that could cause him to be killed. So let's look at Nehemiah two verses one through seven. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Look at how the favor of God can work in your workplace with people who don't know God. I'm a living testimony. God can allow people who don't know God to see something in you that they find favor. The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I could rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take? And when will you get back? You understand why people who know that there are believers in the midst, there is something about believers in the company of a workplace that you shine, that you provide some kind of stability, a balance, some kind of joy and a presence there. The presence of God is there. You can always see when you start to see the examples that things are going well that things are prospering. You even saw in the story of Joseph that when he was in Potiphar's house, everything he touched in the house, in the field, prospered and was blessed because of God. So they want him back. They enjoy his company. They are, are really having the blessings of God, even with this man as their servant. So they asked, when would you get back? It pleased the king to send me. So I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of trans, of trans Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. Favor, favor, favor.
Another example, there's some good examples. I'm not trying to be too heavy tonight, but I'm encouraging you that as you look at something as, as simple as Labor Day, each day that we do things as unto the Lord is a blessing, is an opportunity for the Lord to show us where we fit in the plan of God, his divine plan for our lives to continue on so that his destiny, his unfolding of the godly plan that he has in place is going to unfold. So let's go to Daniel. Daniel, we will see that from the very beginning of the book of Daniel, even though they're in captivity, even though they've been taken from their homeland, they've been castrated, losing their genitalia to be in the servants of the king. He still finds favor that God gives him wisdom. He and the three Hebrew boys in order to know wisdom and knowledge of God 10 times more than everybody else in that whole kingdom. How God can bless you, even though things aren't what you would have wanted. You may not be at the place that you want, but still trust God. So in verse 17 of Daniel chapter one, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them. You're going to talk with people. People are going to want to get to know who you are. And when you speak to them, speak as unto the Lord. Have the confidence to know that God has you in those places for a purpose and for a reason. You don't have to be in fear. Be in faith. Trust God. It says the king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service in every matter, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them. He found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Look at God. Look how God will bless you and I by just allowing us to be plugged into him. Without God, we can do nothing. But with him, what can't we do? And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Now here's another example. Joseph of the Genesis story that I talked to you a minute. I'm not gonna talk about Potiphar, his house and the rape accusation. I'm not gonna talk about when he was in the prison and forgotten. I'm gonna go straight to when he was elevated. Those dreams back in that early 37 chapter, when he told those two dreams, it took him from being 17 years old to 30 to where we're going right now. There are some of us who have had God reveal some things of what's going to happen in our future and we don't see it unfolding. We can't see it. But with God, you have to wait on the Lord. You have to trust the Lord. You have to not complain and compare yourself with others. You just have to know that God has fashioned you for a purpose and for a witness. And in the places that you are working now, just continue to do what is thus saith the Lord. So in Joseph, in the story of Joseph in Genesis chapter 41, verses 33 through 48. And now let Pharaoh look. Now, Joseph has discerned the dream, but then he goes and he starts talking about a strategy. That's why God gives you wisdom and knowledge and discernment after he gives that dream. 
And it says, and now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain and under the authority of the Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine and will come that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. He's like, if you're a manager, a program manager, you've taken the PMP and all these different courses that we've had to do over the years, certifications, you know that he had a strategy, he had a plan, he had a schedule, he had estimations, he had who's going to be in the structure of order and discipline and management. That's why it was a plan. Pharaoh just didn't say, I like what I heard. He said in verse 37, the planned the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man? This man who is a convict, this man who was accused of rape, this man who's a foreigner. Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? Look at what God is showing them. Look at what God is showing about you in your workplace. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. When God elevates, he doesn't play. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command and people shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I'm Pharaoh. But without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zephanath Paneah and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentiful. Joseph collected all the food and produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. He had success even though he went through. Now we're going to transition to the New Testament. This is not going to be a long night. Here we have a woman. We've been talking about men. We talked about Ruth, but now we're going to talk about a couple women. We have a woman who's a widow. We have a woman who's an older woman. So if you say, I'm older, I'm retired, I don't do this like the young people do. No, no, no. There's always a service for the Lord that you can be used of. In Anna, Luke chapter 2, verses 36 through 38, we have an older woman who's gone through losing her husband after only seven years of marriage. And after seven years of marriage, she could have said, I'm done which she did. She didn't get remarried. She went into the service of the Lord. 
It says here, there was also a prophet. She's not just a woman. She's a prophet. Anna, the daughter of Peniel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old, senior citizen, got the ARP card, over 55, all that stuff. She's very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them, meaning Joseph and Mary and the baby child, Christ. Coming up to them at that very moment, God, the Holy Spirit orchestrated that, she gave thanks to God. All of this was happening as a result of her service to the Lord in the temple, day and night, fasting and praying. But she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Don't count yourself out because you're retired or you're older. You have a purpose and you have a plan. Here's another woman in Acts chapter 16, verses 13 through 15, and then we'll jump to 39 through 40. I want you to see this is a businesswoman. This is a woman in the fashion industry. You know, they had that movie Devil Wears Prada, but we have a situation where it's not about the devil. It's Lydia and she's dealing with the purple Prada. Okay. So here we have in verse 13 of Acts 16. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening on a Sabbath outside the city at the river, she was there gathered for worship and prayer. So business women don't think that you have to leave God out because God can be in your business, whether you're the owner, CEO, or you're a worker. Don't leave God out. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. Not only was she a businesswoman, she had the gift of hospitality. She was a giver. She was humble. She was willing to serve and have those men she'd never met come into her home. I want you to see that she's allowing them to come into her home, but even after they are imprisoned, they're convicts. They've been arrested falsely. She's allowing the convicts, the former prisoners to come into her home to have that same fellowship that she had before they went to prison. Verse 15, when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay. She didn't say, come and get out, take a piece of chicken and go. Come and stay at my home, at my house. And she persuaded us. She wasn't just talking a game. She was serious. She had heard the message. God had opened her heart and she wanted not only Paul, but the men that were with Paul to come and stay at her house. She's a businesswoman, so she has a nice house and she's willing to open the doors and the beds and the refrigerator of her house. Now jump to verse 39, talking after Paul came out of the prison. It says, 
they came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, where'd they go? They went to Lydia's house, who they had been staying with. They went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. She was having those women that were at the riverside. She was having brothers and sisters who had gotten saved. The people that were in her household, the people that they knew Paul and them were having opportunities to share the gospel in her house. Businesswoman, woman that has a worshiping heart, a loving heart. Let's keep going. Now, this last example I wanted to bring up and we're going to read this and then we're going to go to another scripture and then that'll be the end for the evening. We know that Jesus Christ is deity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We also understand from Matthew 1 that Joseph was his stepfather. He did not know Mary and she was a virgin when they got betrothed and they became married and he didn't know her until after Jesus was born. But I want to show you this passage of scripture because Joseph was, was probably died. He had died during the period of Jesus's ministry, but people in his hometown recognized who Jesus was. And they referred to his occupation as father's occupation, his stepdad's occupation, because to them, that was his son. It wasn't that he was stepson. They just knew him as the carpenter's son that he had made a living as a carpenter and they saw Jesus Christ in the act of his miracles and the act of his teaching and his wisdom. And they said, isn't this the carpenter's son that in the workplace of what Joseph was doing, taking care of not just Jesus and Mary, but the other brothers and sisters, the townspeople that lived in that hometown of Jesus understood this is the man that took care of his family. And what did he do for a living? He was a carpenter and great as a carpenter. He was, he was the father, stepfather of Jesus and his other brothers and sisters. Sisters aren't named by name, but they are referenced in this passage. We're going to read. So when you say that Mary stayed a virgin, she had children and her husband, Joseph was a carpenter and took care of his family until he passed on. So let's go to Matthew chapter 13 verses 54 through 56. Coming to his hometown, talking about Jesus, coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue and they were amazed. Where did this man, man, get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? They ask, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? All says there's more than one sister, right? Sisters means plural. Where then did this man get all these things? God's favor, God's wisdom, God's knowledge, God's anointing, God's power, God's miracles. So hallelujah time. So the last scripture I'm going to read is out of Ecclesiastes three, because as God was sharing with me, many of us have seasons in our lives 
and work is part of our season. And even when you retire, there are things that God still wants you to do for his kingdom and for his purpose, whether it's in your churches, your houses of prayer, your synagogue, God wants you to be about his business. So in Ecclesiastes chapter three, we're going to start with verse one to everything. There is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. This is for those is my opportunity to build up people. If you wonder why did I start a business? of Four Dose Productions is because my heart's desire is that a lot of people have been torn down, whether they think it's from people judging them, people criticizing them, people not liking them, people talking, all this stuff. It's my heart's desire for them to know about being built up by the Lord, whether it's in faith, relationships, about your career, about your finances, about you struggling with challenges of your life that's caused you to be down low and rejected and depressed. All of it, God has given me a heart to build up. So this scripture says a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to gain and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. What profit has the worker from that in which he labors? I have seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does, does from beginning to end. We have to trust God. We have to pray to God. We have to do the work as unto the Lord. We have to seek God's favor for his kingdom and his, for his purpose. Yes, today may be Labor Day, but every day is an opportunity for us to labor as unto the Lord. The word of God says the harvest is plenteous, but the labors are few. Let us all pray to the Lord of the labor, Lord of the labor or Lord of the vineyard. We're all to be in the work of God to share the message and the truth of the Lord. I love you and Lord willing, I will see you next week. Check us out on Audible, share and like and subscribe and get the word out. If you have not heard the message called Love Through Reconciliation, Not the Beatdown, and you know people who are not saved, I encourage you to let them listen. They will hear something from the heart of God, from the message of God. I love you and God bless.